Hi, and welcome to Practical Reliability. I'm your host, George Williams, CEO of Reliability X, and we are at the 35th International Maintenance Conference here in Marco Island, Florida. My guest right now is none other than Michael Guns. Michael is the Associate Director of Maintenance Strategy and Planning for the University of Delaware. Michael, welcome. Thanks, George. Glad to be here. It is, you know, I've done a bunch of podcasts kind of this week, and, and uh, I've pretty much all of them have been vendors, people in the expo right. booth. It's very refreshing to have a practitioner in front of me that we can talk, you know, nitty gritty. Right. <laughs> so walk me through what uh, this experience is like for, uh, so is this your first IMC? No, no, this is actually my third now. Oh, excellent, yeah. great, great. So walk me through what the experience is like on the practitioner side. Um, it's a good basis to get like different ideas about what you can and can't do. Uh, some of the other things that I noticed are like, you know, some of the new technologies out there. Uh, the IoT realm is, you know, gaining ground. It's getting bigger and bigger. And uh, some of the things that we're currently trying to do are, are more or less wrapped around like the PM modifications or optimizations and uh, kind of fixing the, the poor practices of the past, you know. So as we're going through this, this has really given us like good ideas about what we need to do to move forward or to get us past that certain point. Yeah, and I, I, you know, a lot of people are in varying degrees of maturity when it mm -hmm. comes to maintenance and reliability, and a lot of folks are still, you know, we've got to get the basics now down before you know the fancy shiny stuff mm -hmm. is even relevant yet. Um, not that that doesn't add value because it it certainly does. Um, but sometimes it's difficult to jump right there if even like your equipment structure is not good or right, your PMs right. are not set in place and all those things. So where where are you guys at in your journey and what does Path Forward look like for you? Right now it's uh, kind of going back to square one. Um, you know, we, we did a, a whole cradle to grave scenario of our work execution and how it starts, like how the call comes in or how the, the repair comes in and then how it's dispersed or planned and then getting it out to the technicians and then how it's closed out. So we started with that so that we could kind of go back to the beginning and start teaching everybody the right way to do things versus the haphazardness that was before. Um, so with that, we kind of looked at the assets to start with. We didn't have like the asset nomenclature right. Um, even the, the characteristics or the specifications weren't right. So now we're working on trying to get that in the system the right way with the, the right classification, the right specs. Um, and then we're also working towards like getting our dispatch folks oriented on how to get the call out. If it's supposed to go to a, like a service call or if it's gonna go right to a plan job. Um, they're, the, uh, the vocabulary is something else that like they weren't used to. So now we're trying to get that in so that everybody's speaking the same language. That's so critical, yeah. getting people to speak the same language. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. it's, a, it, a, it's probably one of the more difficult things to implement, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yep. And in addition to that, it, it's got so much value on the back end because at least people are talking the same. Yeah, and, and when you mention things, they understand what you're mentioning. So there's a big, gigantic piece right. of this is just awareness training. Yep. And trying to get them to, to kind of wrap their heads around it. So like if they go somewhere like this, like we eventually want to get it to where we're sending our folks out to these type of things so that they can learn a little bit. But it's like preparing them for that so that when they come here, they're hearing the same language, they're hearing the same messaging, and they're getting the ideas that we're, we're perpetuating there 
you know, here so that it kind of reinforces it a little bit. Yeah, I think that's actually really important for people to realize, mm -hmm. you know, if they just send them blindly with no awareness training up front, it, ju it may just create some confusion, right. right? Because the terminology is not already being used back at the facility. So, yep. Yep. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about your particular scenario. So your university campus, obviously many buildings, um, lots and lots of rotating assets, and your function is, you know, allow research to take place, allow learning to take place, clean, well-lit, um, and comfortable environments, right? right. I mean, yeah, that's right. the business you're in. Yeah, and at, at, with that, I tell, um, like, our executives and um, most of the people that we talk to with our end users and everything is like, you know, our, our output is the students. It, it, we don't produce a product, they are our product. If we can give them the best situation to either learn in or research in, then when they go out in the real world, they're actually going to produce something that's a little bit better because they, they had good quality learning opportunities when they were with us. And not only that, they're going to be an alumnus, and when people are asking them if, you know, if that's a good choice for their mm -hmm. kid or if they're you know, looking for a college or a university and they ask about it, you want them to make that reference right. because you know, repeat business and referrals that's how you create an income. Yeah, and hopefully the you know the parents keep that alma materism with their kids, and they send them to us at, at later later date. Right, and it, so it's incredibly important for them to have a great experience mm -hmm. in in order for that to take place. Right. So, it, but it's still difficult, right? So you're not manufacturing, mm -hmm. and in manufacturing, I can put a dollar value to downtime very specific right. to an SKU that gets manufactured you have a significant challenge in that place, and, and I don't want to say it's an impossible challenge because I've lived it, I've, mm -hmm. I've been at R&D sites and pharma and we had to do the same thing. Right. How do you articulate the value of what you're trying to do? Um, like you said, it's difficult, but it's, um, it's more or less wrapped around the data. Like I can pull information out of our systems, whether it be our CMMS system, our scheduling system, or even the uh, you know, our, our PeopleSoft, it's our, you know, how we clock in and clock out. Like I can get those particular items out so that we can make business cases. Um, our, I keep saying our executives, but it's like our, our president and our VP, um, one of the things that we're trying to get them to understand is like you can't work on your car while you're driving it. You have to stop. Um, some of the buildings, we have to stop doing certain things so that we can maintain it a little bit better and showing them what the expectation is once we do that and how it's going to help later on. Um, we, you know, the data and providing the, the charts and graphs or even a list of, you know, it's gonna save us this much money in the next two years. That's the big thing that they need to understand. Yeah. It seems to work with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, yeah, you know, I used to project it as risk Mitigation, right? right? I yep. mean, you're in the business of risk mitigation mm -hmm. because you don't want to put students at risk. You don't want to put a laboratory space at risk right. or evacuate it unnecessarily, right? Or shut it down for a day that's not planned. Right. And so you want to get ahead of that game and make sure you can plan it when it's most convenient, right? Mm -hmm. Outside of sessions, outside of yeah, and an individual research study. Yeah, yeah. That's like a really crucial part to, you know, looking at like right now in the winter session, it's kind of like our peak time because the students are away. They'll be away for a month. So we try to get as much maintenance done in those months in the residence halls that we can and some of the more critical research buildings because nobody's there. Right. 
but we also have to be mindful that like some of the research is still going on and it's probably research that's been going on for five six years so like they could lose 25 million dollars worth of research yeah if an air handler stops working or if their freezer shuts off. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know? And so I got to imagine there is a bunch of redundancy in, in this space. Not as much as you'd think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We try well, to it depends get on the age, it. right? I mean, for older universities tend to have, uh, you know, non-redundant buildings that, are, that don't have that redundancy built in. So how, how's that fare into your strategy? It's a... Uh, it's kind of like hit and miss. Um, some some of the researchers or the professors understand it. So like we, we stress that if they're gonna get a piece, a piece of critical equipment that they have a UPS with it, they buy one. Um, whereas like our generator setups, uh, they have to understand that there's like a five minute, you know, uh, limit where it might not turn on. Or, you know, some of them we, we try to get like to the five second level, but they have to understand that it's not you know, straight transition. It's not milliseconds. Be a little de- yeah, yeah. yeah, there's going to be a little delay. <laughs> um, but in turn, too, is like if they want redundancy, like they have to build that into their grants or their research propositions, and um, like we can we can give them information to support that and justify why they need it. And if it's a, a you know a loss of downtime, then we have to get with the the VPs level and show them the same thing so that they understand that that funding has to come from somewhere. Um, they may not get the full boat for the grant, and they may have to get some supplementary funds, and that, that supports that effort as well. If they want them to learn, they'll put up the funds. Yeah, 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 yeah. So talk to me about the challenge. You said, you're, yeah, I got to get my equipment hierarchy. Mm-hmm. How, how big is the, walk me through some statistics. So right now we have uh, 9.7 million square feet of buildings. Uh, we have 427 total across three campuses. So for Delaware, we have two campuses that are in the northern part. One's in Newark and one's in Wilmington. And then we have a Lewis campus uh, down south. That's about 95 miles away from where we're at in Newark. Um, We have a sub-campus that's just like one building in Florida where our ocean engineering group does some research down there. So all in all, it's it's about 9.7, 9.8 million square feet. Um, With that, we uh, currently... Three years ago, we had about 2,300 to 2,400 assets in the system, which is, you know, for all that space, it's yeah. incredibly low. Nothing. Yeah. Um, in the last three years, we've gained up to 12,000. So we're increasing the number of assets that we we found and or are supporting. Um, but we've also had probably two million square feet of building come online in the last two years. So getting the contractors to support us with the information from those. And getting that in the system has been, you know, murder. Uh, but we have, we have developed a uh, like an Excel sheet that they can fill out uh, based on the detail schedules of the plans and all that, and support that so that we can upload it to Maximo directly. And uh, that's helped us immensely with the, the data input. Uh, the biggest thing is making sure it's clean data. Right. If you get right. wrong data, it's, it's kind of pointless. <laughs> So what? So it, so, are you physically walking all this down, or are you just doing it by uh, okay? You have a PM in this area. Verify the asset list. So what we're going to be going through in, in starting in January is a uh, like kind of like a PM verification and optimization program. Uh, we're going to go through and give them a list of the assets that we currently have in the system, and we're going to give them a set of drawings. And as the the mechanics are going out, they know the equipment the best. So they're going to be looking for it and make sure it's there. If it's not, they're going to add it to the sheet. 
if there's something missing, they're going to add it to the sheet. And then if it's verified, they'll just check it off and move on. But while they're doing that, they're going to perform the PMs at the same time. Yeah. So we can get a better handle on the job plans that we might have to get involved in as well. Um, so it'll be kind of like a two-fold process. And um, it's better off this way. And my group in the planning department will also support that by going out to them and kind of helping them with the process, the sheet and seeing if there's something that we can add value to by like either going and looking at the five or six items that they can't get to right now and or if they're doing a PM, we could be gathering data while they're there. All right, so you uh, were at 2,500, you're 12,000 or added 12,000 and are at 14,000, something like that. Right. Um, where do you anticipate it uh, needs to be? And the follow-up question to that is, do you believe you're currently PMing them with no documentation? Or what are you going to have to do to augment staff to get all that work done if you're not currently? That's changing? a really good question. Um, so what we're going to plan on doing is kind of taking a look at uh, you know, the building size. Uh, and then I'm expecting probably somewhere in the vicinity of 250 to maybe 350,000 assets. Yeah. Uh, with that, we're going to have to start routing them properly and uh, putting them in the system and have s strategic plans or strategic job plans associated with them. Um, the technicians are going to be really important in that because they do the work every day. I can go off of manufacturer recommendations all I want, but they know how the equipment operates and it's old. So you have to support it in a different way. Uh, they'll be integral in that and then like all that data is going to have to be pushed into Maximo somehow. So I'm sure we're probably going to have to partner up with somebody in order to do that. Um, it's just getting uh, the numbers together so that I can start putting together the ROI and the justification for the monies. Um, I think once they start seeing the, the, max, or, um, the magnitude of what we have or what we don't have, I, I think they'll start seeing that there's you know, the benefits coming out. And are you um, two, three hundred technicians? We have 131. Oh, yeah. You're going to have a right. big shocker when um, you go back to senior leadership. It, well, I, I say 131, it, and about 24 of those are like uh, management. Right. Like they're still like doing some of the fine points and the, the procedural stuff. But uh, we actually have 104 mechanics that actually do the work right now. We're... we're uh, kind of asking for 24 more um, just because that like at our levels right now what we're supposed to have like that's where we were in, in 2019 and that's where they're going to give us to right um, that's going to be a challenge right because you're going to you're going to show you may there's a chance you're going to build all these pms but not turn them on right because immediately you're going to potentially and I, I don't know that you'd have to get into a lot more spe specifics but potentially you could quadruple or you know even more well, it might be your 10, workload, 10 or 12 right? times yeah yeah i mean if you 10x your workload um either you have a lot of folks waiting around currently <laughs> or right. you may need some folks right yeah. yep uh and they're not easy positions to fill in today's environment no, it's so not. now you've got to even consider how am i getting this the right skill sets and you know do you have local community colleges with stem programs or you know something that you can start mm -hmm spoken wheeling and and trying to get people in the door right you know an entry-level technical capabilities and, and that's really the biggest challenge is like getting the qualified personnel like we can get apprentices and teach them the right ways but 
that means that you have four years of learning and planning to go along with it to get them up to skill and and do the things that we have the season mechanics doing right, right. now. Um, I'm an electrician by trade. I came up through the trades, and I know what the process is going to be and the learning curve that you're going to have, especially with the the, uh, the people nowadays. Um, yeah, they don't. They just want to have it. They don't want to get to it. Um, so their their process is like you know I just came out of school. You should have me here. Well, you really haven't learned what it act. You know what to do and what not to do. You know there's some some technique involved with it. So. Um, I really see us uh, kind of venturing into a market where we're going to need probably 50, 60 people. Um, and I can justify it, but getting our, our you know, budget office and our, our procurement office to identify, hey, you know, this is a real need. So you're going to have to figure out what it's costing you now not to have it, yes. right? So in other words, are you having buildings that you can't use because of failures and if you are how often and document that and right. what's the law what's the cost of that building down for a day you're gonna have to talk to finance like there's mm -hmm. lots of things to do in that space but if that's your anticipation I think you you know it, starting the thought process of how are we gonna fill positions needs to happen now. years yeah. ahead of you flipping the switch on right. the PMs, right? Yeah. Thank God your entire department is, you know, about strategy and planning because that's oh, yeah. exactly what you're going to be doing for a while. And that, that's been like one of the saving graces for our uh, our whole ideal for the last two years. Uh, you know, we planned everything ahead at least three months, if yeah. not more, in most cases, so that we would have something available to give to the executives to let them know this is what we're going to do. Um, so we were ahead of the curve the whole way. My director is, is very supportive in the, the ideals that, you know, we do have to have a plan. Um, you know, I have all this garbage in my head and, you know, it's nice to come to these things so that I can get it out. But like when you're trying to convey that to people who don't understand it, right. we have to twist it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. You know, so, um, but I think it, as long as we show them the progression, we show them the need. And, you know, if I take a building off the line, you're not going to have a research building for two weeks. How is that going to affect things? And when they start seeing that, I think that's when really when the light switch is going to turn on. Right, right, right. You know, well, I, you know, I, I'm excited for the position you're in because it, it, it brings back a lot of memories. You have a lot of opportunity ahead of you, uh, you know, with coupled with that is a significant amount of work and stress. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's uh, interesting and it's it's great that you're coming to events like this because you get an opportunity to network. You get an opportunity to hear people going through the same type of struggles. And, I, you know, we really appreciate you coming on to Practical Reliability because that's what we're trying to do for people that are listening. Right. Is, is get them to hear from people that are going through the same types of struggles and how they're approaching things. And you've laid out a beautiful plan, and I think you're well on your way. It's just a, an execution and some, yep. some, yeah. some cost just justification some here and there. <laughs> Sprinkle in some technicians that don't exist, and you're in great shape, right. you know? Yep. <laughs> Sounds easy. Right. It's easy anybody. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, thank you so much. I, you know, yeah. again, I really appreciate, appreciate you coming on. Mm -hmm. And uh, anytime you want to be back on, just let me know because yeah. our folks that are listening to this could absolutely um, follow your journey and learn a lot. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. That'd be nice. All right. Thank you very much. Yeah.
All right, so for Michael Guns, I'm George Williams. This is Practical Reliability Live from the 35th International Maintenance Conference. Go make tomorrow better than today. If you're a Maximo user, responsible for Maximo at your company, a developer, or someone interested in asset management, reliability, digital twins, and all the amazing things that surround Maximo, the event for you in 2022 is Maximo World 2022. Austin, Texas, August 9th to the 11th. Participants will have an opportunity to meet IBM Maximo experts and partners with proficiencies in the technology and the strategies and processes that accelerate bottom line business results. For more information, visit www.reliabilityweb.com events and click on the Maximo World icon.